This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Love him or hate him, Paul Rabel will go down as one of the best to ever play the game. Dan Arestia stops by to talk about Rabel's impact on and off the field. He'll also set up the PLO Championship Final. Plus, Paul St. John and the Arena Lacrosse League are coming west. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Claire right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! Jenner, and this is another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Cross Flash Podcast Network. So on Spotify and Apple Music. How's things? Happy Thursday. It's uh, starting to become that time of year where it is the dog days of fall. Not a whole lot of lacrosse going on. But we'll get through it. We got one more big game to get through. And then it's time to start looking forward to National Lacrosse League training camps. If you want to follow us here at the show, check it out on Instagram, OTCB Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Let me know your best Paul Rabel moment. I've got two. And one is on the field. And the other was, you know, off the field, but directly involved with on the field stuff. And I don't know if a lot of people remember this. Back in... 2012, Paul Rabel was on an episode of ESPN Sports Science, and they were just going over the mechanics of shooting, you know, the torque, the speed, the power, the efficiency, you know, all those little finite details that they did on that sports science show. And at one point, Paul goes to rip a shot into the net. And he actually creates so much torque and so much force that he breaks the bottom of the shaft off where his hand is. 
it was just, I don't think I'd ever seen that before. And the whole sports science episode is out there, but I think the shaft break was a behind the scenes um, clip. And I can't seem to find it, but it happened. I swear I'm not fake media, but if you go and look at that sports science clip, it's on YouTube. I'll post it on, on my Twitter account. But just how they break the biomechanics of his shot and relate it to other sports is phenomenal. And at that time, 2012, you know, social media was still kind of growing. And not a lot of lacrosse athletes were being prioritized to be, you know, social media influencers, to, for lack of a better term. But from the first time I met Paul Rabel, you knew that he had the charisma and the attitude and the energy and the personality to be larger than life. And to embrace the spotlight and embrace the eyes and the scrutiny and the weight of being the face of lacrosse or the face of American field lacrosse, of the MLL, of the PLL, of the U.S. game of lacrosse. It has been Paul Rabel ever since probably even before, yeah, probably around 2012. After, you know, once he got into the MLL and he won that first championship, he really kind of took over. And it wasn't the Powells anymore. And, you know, the Mark Millens were done. And just Paul Rabel just continued to get not only better on field, but continued to become a business off the field. And I remember I interviewed him way back, maybe in like the, I think it would have been, you know, the first year of this show when it was on radio in Vancouver. And we talked about the ideas of marketing yourself and being, you know, proactive in getting your name out there and building your brand. And nobody in the game of lacrosse, in the social media era, has done a better job of marketing his name, his brand, and everything that he is better than Paul Rabel. He is head and shoulders above everybody else in that medium. And it's not even close. And when we talk to Dan Arrestia, we, we get into this conversation about who is the next face of the PLL and the game of field lacrosse. And it's interesting to think about, sure, there are talented, talented players that could easily say they are now the best of the best. But you have to encompass everything in being the face of a sport. Being, you know, doing media, doing social media, you know, doing vignettes and skits and ads and everything that comes with it. Promotional stuff. 
but also getting yourself out there on your own platforms and not just what the teams and leagues want you to do. And as we've sort of known, Canadians are very reserved in that matter. We don't like to boast and we don't like to put ourselves out there. Not that it's an ego thing. It's just that's never really been our MO. Whereas, you know, the power of social media in the United States, players embrace that. To an extent where they have their own social media brands. And Paul Rabel is a shining light of that. But when you look throughout the league and the game now, who is that person that can be one of the best of the best on field and also lead the way off the field? It's a tough combination. And it's not for everybody. So on the field, there are definitely, you know, a handful of guys that can be the face of the league. And as a collective unit, those guys easily can carry the weight of Paul Rabel on the field. But it's the off-the-field stuff that makes you wonder who it's going to be. The other cool memory I have of Paul Rabel was watching him in 2010 with the Washington Stealth. And his maturation in the indoor game as just a very green player. But what Chris Hall was able to do with Paul Rabel inside the box was absolutely amazing. And Paul bought in and Paul understood that he was being coached by one of the most brilliant minds in our sport. And he was a sponge. He listened to everything Chris Hall said. He listened to everything Art Webster said. He, you know, he was listening to guys like Matt Beers and Curtis Hodgson and Cam Sedgwick. You know, they had a lot of veterans on that team. I, I use Beers just because he was sort of the young guy alongside him at the time, but you know, they still communicated, and Paul still learned a lot defensively from a guy like Matt Beers. But getting Paul Rabel to be the explosive, dynamic, two-way midfielder that he's always been in the field game and converting that to success in the indoor game made Paul Rabel one of the top players in the league during those few years. Once he was moved from the stealth, his production value went way down and his... effectiveness became more and more evident. And it's because teams started trying to change the way that he was successful. They tried to make him fit into their square hole. You know what I mean? Chris Hall knew you had to let Paul Rabel do what he did best. And that wasn't working him in straight up five-on-five five set offense. You have to let him be physical on the back end, find loose balls, transition, and make explosive plays. And it 
was evident that Paul loved that role. But the moment that I will remember, besides the 2010 championship game where he had two goals, including that one where he power stopped on the crease, ducked inside two defenders, and got Bob Watson on his knees praying to the lacrosse gods for mercy. It was the semifinal game the week before, two weeks before, against the Edmonton Rush, and the game was actually played in Seattle at Key Arena, the old Sonics home arena. And it was a horseshoe shape. They didn't have fans at one end because that's just the way that the arena was constructed. But there were a ton of fans there. And it was an incredible environment. The Stealth had the lead. Rush had the lead. It's tied late. They go to overtime. It's sudden victory. And Jamison Kester for the cell takes the draw. And as he had done so many times, pops it free to Paul Rabel's side. Rabel picks up the ball, runs past Midsky, runs past Brody Merrill, gets Disher on his knees, praying for mercy from the lacrosse gods, jumps in the air and dunks it back far side, 10 seconds into the game, 12 seconds into the end of the story, into overtime. And it was one of the most insane moments that I can think of. But it was again, Paul Rabel doing what he did best in the biggest moments when he shone the brightest. Love him or hate him. Paul Rabel will go down as one of the greatest players to have ever played lacrosse period but he will also go down as one of the most influential if not the most influential person of our sport of all time the heights that he has helped this sport get to the eyes that he has helped it have on it will forever be grateful for the work that Paul Rabel did he knew he had the ability to take it further. And he did. And he's going to continue to do that. And we are all grateful and should be thankful for what Paul Rabel has done. And as lacrosse fans, Paul, thank you for every memory, every highlight, every handshake, every smile, Every autograph, every moment you took out to help make this game better, we thank you. Because given this sport, you're all. And now that you're done playing on the field, you're going to absolutely own the business side of things and continue to take this sport to levels and heights we never thought it could. Enjoy retirement, my friend. I know you will continue to crush it every step of the way. Okay, let's hear what Dan Arestia has to say about Paul Rabel. Dan has seen Paul Rabel's career rise 
over the years and has followed the PLL since its inception and understands how much of an impact the announcement of Paul Rabel's retirement had, the amount of impact that his career has had, and more importantly, the impact of the weight of the moment was so vast that even the Twitterverse didn't ruin the moment. That is how impactful Paul Rabel is to our sport. We'll break it all down. We'll chat about the PLL Finals. We'll see who's going to win MVP. And we get some food thoughts from Dan Aresti right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Dan, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Um, you are a chef at heart. Um, I saw you in the uh, group chat talking with the boys about some delicious cheese bread dip and all that stuff. Um, what's in the oven tonight? What's in the oven tonight? Uh, for dinner, we did uh, we did a little fish and chips kind of deal. My wife picked up some uh, some really nice pieces of cod from the market today, so we just fried those up with uh, with some potatoes in the air fryer and did our little fish and chips. It's always a hit with the kids. So you're an air fryer guy. We have an air fryer. I love the air fryer. I'm an advocate of the air fryer. It's it's great great way to make uh, vegetables a little more fun. Slice eggplant into into some nice French fry sized pieces and fry those. Delicious. There we go. Um, what's your uh, go to dish? Like, if you had to make one dish to win a competition, what would it be? Uh, it's it's hard because it depends on like how much time do I have. <laughs> you have forty five minutes. I have forty five. I was gonna say I would make I would make Sunday sauce to win almost any competition, but I can't do that in forty five minutes. <laughs> um, if I had if I have forty five minutes. I'm either doing uh, like chicken cutlets to yeah. make to make chicken parm or something like that, or um, you could do a pretty good big ziti in 45 minutes. Yeah, Italian roots, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, was, were you uh, were you a kitchen kid with your with your parents growing up? Is that where your love for food came from? My love for it and everything didn't come until a little bit later on. Actually, I wasn't in until like my 20s where I really got passionate about trying to. Um, you know, have my own food and stuff like that, just because it became like, as you're out on your own, you realize how unreasonable it is to like try and order out or something like several times a week. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna do this the right way and be making my own food and then do it right. So I tried to, you know, reconnect with my roots a little bit and learn how to make some of the things from my youth that I always thought were really good. Um, you know, learn those from my parents and stuff like that. And then uh, sort of went from there. Are you going to have a pregame, you know, wings and beer before the championship game this weekend? I think so. I'm going to try and go, you know, Jerry Ragonese, because he's like food king, sent yeah. me a recommendation for a, uh, he said a place that does really, really good ramen. It's right oh. near the, uh, near the venue. So I'm probably got, I got to check that out at some point over the weekend. I don't know if that'll be a pregame. That would be like a <laughs> 10 a.m. ramen, but <laughs> Um, at some point over the weekend, I'm definitely going to check it out. Uh, absolutely. Uh, everyone will be in D.C. for the championship weekend. It's going to be very exciting. But the big news of the week came just 24 hours ago uh, when Paul Rabel announced his retirement from professional lacrosse, from indoor, from outdoor worlds, you name it. Um, this was kept under wraps fairly well, which is surprising in the lacrosse world and Twitter and all that. Um, you were kind of in the know, but... Um, as the world found out, how breaking was this in the grand scheme of things? You know, I think, well, 
to the first part of that, I think a little credit goes to Lax Twitter for the people that knew that decided not to just clout chase with it because you know, it's like I I had said at one point some things you just you just don't break it if you know yeah. what like when you knew what this was you just don't do that. Um, somebody was like, well, what's the scenario where you just don't do it? I'm, eventually, when the news broke, I was like, this one. Right. When when you have you have this is this is Paul Rabel. This is the biggest titan that there has been. And field across, I you know have made the case he's the most important player in the history of professional field across. Um, this is the guy who's, you know, the the guy that the kids all come to see. Like they still go to training camp this year and, and weekends and stuff like that. They go to the PLL weekends on days where Rabel's team's not even playing, just because they know he's going to be there. Like you know, they're they're buying tickets to Water Dogs games so they can see Paul Rabel. Um, you know, there's there hasn't been anybody like that in field lacrosse ever um, at the at, at the pro level for for sure. So, you know, I, I think when you try and you know understand just the impact of it, I tried to reckon with it a little bit, but um, you know, I, I think pro lacrosse as a result of this news, even though he's still going to be around, he's still going to be there on weekends. He's still the league CMO. He has this really great um, you know goals for greatness initiative that he's starting to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but you know they they have to reckon now with the idea that for the first time in 15 years your on-field product doesn't have Paul Rabel in it, and that's that's tough. You know I don't I don't know how you project out ticket sales impacted by something like that, or uh, you know jersey sales. I don't know who has the highest selling jersey, but I would bet Paul Rabel's is up there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, reckoning with the idea that this this guy who's been the absolute magnet for the sport for so long, ever since he came into the league, um, is, is tough to do, but that's, that's the nature of his impact. So I, I also know that he's a smart enough guy to know that, um, you know, there's ways to, to overcome that challenge. And yeah. I had said in my piece as well, like if, if you're looking for new ways to tap into an audience, specifically in the lacrosse world, Paul Rabel's the guy you want to put in charge of doing that. This is the guy who, who got there with YouTube vlogs, built that into social media, built that all the way up into where he is now, where there's, you know, his ventures, his camps, his everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so if there's a guy who can figure out a new way to leverage these markets that doesn't include him on the field, he's a guy who's going to know how to do it. Um, the, the discussion of who's the face of pro field lacrosse will inevitably come up and it's already come up and, and you wrote about it um, in your article, but is it cut and dry that it's one person or is it more cut and dry that there's nobody right now? You know, I think the, the, the part of the, that question that, you know, a lot of people are kind of going to is, is just taking face of lacrosse and just trying to think of, well, okay, just name the best player in lacrosse. So everyone's just like, well, now it's Lyle or mm -hmm. now it's Rambo or now it's these guys. And, um, you know, I, I had written about it, like you said, that there's, there's so much more to it than that that made Rabel the face of the sport, yes. even when he wasn't the best player in the league anymore. Um, you know, he is this guy who's just magnetic and is ever present, is always putting himself out there, is always, you know, kind of the lightning rod for positive and negative attention that comes to the sport. Um, so being the face of pro lacrosse means taking on some of that. And I don't know that there's a guy in the league who's doing that right now now this is an opportunity for somebody to decide they want to they want to elevate from just you know i'm the best lacrosse player in the world or i'm a top five lacrosse player in the world or whatever i want to try and become more than that i want to try and become this this more of a cultural 
um, you know, figure the way that Rabel did. Um, but that's not something that happens overnight. And I don't, I don't know if that's something that happens all that easily. You know, it's, it's really, really not an easy thing to do. And it's not an easy way to live. I'm, I'm sure, you know, Rabel has been struggling with this decision for a long time, he made it sound like. And, you know, he's, he's I'm sure, going to miss the on-the-field competition. But I think parts of stepping away from that is going to be good for him, for his, you know, his own mental health and his well-being and everything. I'm sure he's still going to go nuts in the boardroom. But, um, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And some guys, you know, I think Lyle would be great if he was doing that. But I also just don't know if that's in Lyle's DNA. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know if that's something that he's ever really been up for. Not that he, he couldn't do it. Um, but, you know, it's it's just doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing that he's about. So, yeah, you're not um, going to see Lyle with a, with a, you know, a YouTube star, a vlog star, you know, shooting weird videos and stuff like that. He's going to yeah, do other stuff. He, yeah, it's not his M.O. He's not doing YouTube hits with with Max is nice and RJ like that's yeah. not his that's not his that's not the world he lives in so um, you know are there guys in the league who maybe fit that a little bit better I think you know if if I'm looking at guys who can maybe combine that elite player with that sort of magnetic and magnanimous you know larger than life kind of thing I look at guys like Baptiste and um, and Miles Jones I, I would I would put him out there as a yeah. guy you could who could become the face of this sport as, you know, he's a larger than life personality. He's an elite player on the field. You know, he's, he's big in social media and all that. So he's, he's already got that going. I think he's a guy who, who could become the face of the league. Absolutely. Um, to steal a line from Jay-Z, Paul Rabel's not a businessman. He's a business man. Um, what do you think Paul's like in the boardroom as a CMO? You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Like it's tough to, it's tough to, answer because you know the interactions i've had with him was you know i i, I interviewed him and I've, I've spoken to him on the phone and everything a few times so um you know i, I have kind of like a, a little bit of a glimpse into it but um you know I, I i get the feeling that um you know he's he's very self-assured he's very confident and he's he's very well in the know about what he's with the problem he's attacking right the, the, the way that the league takes this mega data-driven approach to the things that they're trying to do, understanding what's popular on social media, what generates views and impressions and what doesn't and all of that, that's not like a league issue that like, or a, a league, uh, you know, focus that mm. Paul like didn't have a part of. Like that's, that's who he is too. So I, I think he's a guy who's always searching sort of for the data points and everything that are going to drive for a little bit of an edge because you know this is still the, the competitor in him right he mm. wants to have those pll social media numbers ahead of you know baseball or the nfl or the nba or right up there with them he's looking all the time i think for those data points and stuff that are going to either close the gap or allow them to pass those other leagues um again in one of your articles you you, you talked about the importance of paul rabel's career the magnitude of it um, the impact of this announcement, how he's not going to be in it. Um, what's Paul Rabel's lasting legacy as a player in pro lacrosse? You know, as, as a player, I think you, you still, you look at a lot of the on-field accomplishments and you put him as a guy who's going to, you know, skate into the Hall of Fame five years from, from yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's, he's the all-time points leader and that record is going to be his you know, I, I kind of said it on Twitter, until they start adding a ton of games to these schedules where Junior discovers the fountain of youth, that record is Paul's yeah. for, for 
all time, I can't imagine it getting it getting broken. You know, uh, Chris Rosie had said, you know, Grant Amon put up whatever 35 points this year. If he averages that, he'll have that record in 2038. So, <laughs> you know, like the the, the record yeah. is that's part of his legacy is is that, and also that he did it as a midfielder. Mm. You look at the list, and it's a lot of attackmen. It's always been attackmen are really the big scorers and the big guys who pile up the points. Um, but you know, Rabel with a 72 point season at midfield, he's winning all these awards. Like he's, he's one of the most exciting and dynamic players that that's ever set foot on the field. And there were, there were genuine times, um, you know, in, in those early 2010 years and the mid 2010 years and everything, where if the ball was in his stick, that literally anything could happen. Like yeah. he might just split and shoot a two on the run from 18 or something like that. And it's got a chance to go because that was what he was capable of doing at like the height of his powers was the balls in his hands. He can make literally anything happen from anywhere. Um, So, you know, I I think there's, there's really exciting guys in the sport. Now, I don't know if there's anybody who covers the entire field quite like that outside of maybe, you know, Schreiber or something like that. But um, I think, I think that on the field, he's, he's going to go down as probably the best midi to ever play pro field across. Um, there are some talented young players now in the game that are going to be following in his footsteps. And now the light shines on the whip snakes and chaos round two of championship rematch. Um, does it go the same way? Are we all on board with everyone cheering for chaos? You know, is the chaos train and upsetting Andy towers, 0%. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are going to pull for the chaos because we need something different here. We need the whips yeah. to not win idle again we got to mix it up a little um you know i i think uh it's it's been a fun season it's it's a carbon copy of last year's season for the chaos where it starts out bad they they make some some pretty like substantial personnel moves on the offensive end you know where they they shuffled the lineup they really found a spot for kyle jackson who's been great jake Ficaro for some reason hasn't played since colorado or whatever it is so um these like big lineup changes that kind of take you by surprise, but it all works and they hit their stride come playoff time and they're able to beat like some of the best teams in the league. And now here they are in the championship game where they need to win once with Blaze, who's, you know, looking now like he's going to win the MVP of the league. Um, I, I think they legitimately have a really good shot. I think uh, their struggle might be again, where a lot of teams has been, but Joe Nardella has been a, a problem for them in their matchups this year. And Adler's been better of late, um, but, you know, how, how they can handle Joe and, and the tilting of the field is uh, is going to be a challenge. And then the uh, the chaos need to make sure that when they're playing their off-ball defense, I had said this first in their last game, but, you know, they, they kind of got jumped on and it was the Atlas who went for a run against them when their, their off-ball defense was was just not looking where like where it needed to be. They, they were just getting lost away from the ball. And the Atlas is a is a dangerous team to, to lose your man on. Um, the whip snakes are as well. And they have mm-hmm. some very, very smart players with guys like Carlson who could really wind up punishing them if they're not careful with how they handle him when he's off ball. So, um, you know, I, I think the chaos have a formula for success. I think their offense has been really good. They've beaten some really good teams and I'm sure they're feeling great. They're loving the nobody believes in this vibe and all that. And, you know, towers is going to have them fired up, but, um, you know, I, I think they have a shot. I think the Whips are still the favorite, but I would I would give the Chaos a shot. I don't think it's a it's a no doubter. Um, is it between Blaze and Rambo for MVP? You think whichever team wins this game gets it? 
I think if I think if the chaos win, it's absolutely Blaze. Yeah. There's, there's no way it's not. If it's if the chaos were to lose, I think it honestly could still be Blaze. Like if the chaos mm-hmm. lose and Blaze has 18 saves or something, he's probably still going to win the MVP. Otherwise, you know, I I really do like Jeff Teep for it. Um, I thought he emerged as like this this absolute force that was driving so much of what the Atlas were doing. Where you know they have lots of obviously other other weapons. You have guys like Caraway and Law and, and Cospiel producing like crazy. But there were these moments where you'd see like a two man game with like Teep and Cockerton or Teep and whoever, and off the ball you could just watch Eric Law and Jay Caraway just like find the skip lane and just go park at it. And then it was like, all right, well, Teet's got his hands free and these guys are finding a lane. There's a goal coming. It's yeah. coming four or five seconds from now. You could just book it. Um, I thought Teet really made that offense hum and go. And and he had these performances where he looked unguardable at times. So um, I, I like him for it. And then, you know, after that, I think, I think Eamon was pretty good. I think Eamon had a pretty good season. I think midway through the year, he was probably – the guy that people had at the top of the podium, but you know, since then, Teet and, and Blaze have both really blown up. Um, but yeah, if, if the whips were to win and Rambo goes nuts or something like that, yeah, um, you know, maybe he's he's in there. If he's if he, he's a finalist, right? It's him. It's the it's those three guys with Courier and Rambo. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah, you know, if he goes out there and he's does like what Zed did last year, yeah, right. he scores five goals, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is, is it possible that this Whips team can go three in a row and how unprecedented would that be to start a, a brand new league and have one team win it all? Yeah, they can do it. They can absolutely do it. They'll be the, they'll be the betting favorite to do it. Um, I, I think it's, it's amazing that they've done it because the teams were, were not like drafted or anything like that. Like they were built to have number one, like a connection to existing fan bases yeah. for the whips. Obviously it's, you know, it's, it's the Maryland thing, but two to also like to be competitive, like they, they didn't really build these super skewed teams. And when the Frosters first were announced in year one, everyone was like, the Atlas are busted. You got to break the Atlas up. This team's yeah. over. You got, this is not fair. They got Durkin and Baptiste and all these guys. And, um, and then they had a miserable year one and year two. And like on paper, I don't, I just don't think anybody could have seen this come. And right. You know, year one, even when the whips were, were cruising for a while, um, they were winning tight games. Like they weren't, they weren't always blowing people out. I think year two, the bubble season was just so wacky. And, and you know, they were, they were killing people, but like they're, you know, I have no idea what players, you know, recovery was like, what their health was like, what their preparation was like. You know, I, I think by the end of the bubble, guys were pretty ready to be like, all right, like I'm ready to not be in Utah. I'm ready to you know, get out of the bubble and go back to living my life, whatever. So um, that year was just so weird that, that, you know, the whips, I think, just kind of rode this high of Joe Nardella can't lose, Kyle Burnlord can't stop saving the ball, and then we have the best player in the world at several other positions on the field, so we just, nobody can handle us right now. And then this year, they looked a little more beatable at times. They had some injuries to deal with, but, you know, again, like they, they always draft well. And these, and that's not just the college draft, but that's the entry draft and the guys they're able to keep come expansion draft time. Um, they protect their roster well. You know, they added. You know, we didn't even get to see Brian Cole play for them this year, and he's like a monster. He's mm-hmm. still part of that team. And, you know, hopefully we get to see him next year. But um, you know, they add guys like Aslanian and Brad Smith, and they, you know, they get Zed late in an entry draft. Like, 
they always are able to get the guys they need. Matt Abbott is another one who I think became a waiver claim for them after the entry draft. Like nobody took him and then the whips were like, okay, nobody wants Matt Abbott, we'll take him. Right. Um, you know, so they're, they're also, it's, it's impressive how well they've managed their roster when every offseason we have entry drafts and expansion drafts and all this stuff where players really are shuffling a lot. They manage to keep their core together every year. So um, I think it's, it's a combination of how well they're run by, you know, Stegnet and company and, and just to how stacked with talent and natural chemistry they are anyway. Um, we haven't even talked about the, the goalie controversy. Um, does it, <laughs> is, is it Phipps's net still now? Like it has to be, right? I think they'd probably still roll with Phipps. Um, you know, I, it's been a weird season for Burnlore. I had said earlier in the year, I was like, there's no way they go away from Burnlore. Like this is, he's yeah. taken it. They've won two titles in a row in front of him last year. He had a legitimate MVP claim and, you know, goalie of the goalie of the year claim and all that. Um, so, you know, I, I was surprised to see them really go away from him, but he really had struggled throughout the season. And Phipps has, has won a title. It's a season that I think Stegnitl loves him. Um, and he's, he's not a guy who's going to be, you know, unused to that big of a spot. Um, he's not a young guy either. You know, he's been around for a long time. So, you know, I've, I've had conversations with other people who always tell me that, you know, and this was the, when we were talking about the Atlas, that young, te- young teams play young in the playoffs. Your young guys play younger than they are in the playoffs. So um, you don't have to worry about that with, with Fipper. I think, uh, I think it's safe to go with him, and I, I think they should go with him. So, you know, I'd, I'd keep him in net after his performance in the, uh, in the semifinals for sure. Um, this was another successful year for the PLL. Obviously, their first year booming on the seas in the into the scene. Second year is COVID and the bubble. And now they kind of get fans back and they go to some of their hot spots. When you look at the overall grand scheme of this year for the PLL, how successful was it in, you know, getting them to the next step? You know, I, I think they did really well. I think um, when you look at the, the TV numbers that we were able to see for them, I think right after the 4th of July, they, they really like turned a corner and really started piling up some numbers. They had some great days where they had great lead-in programming. So you had people, you know, sticking around after whatever, a, a NASCAR race or something else that had just been on to watch the PLL. And you got a ton of numbers that way. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been even better if it wasn't an Olympic year. Mm. I think they actually got hit pretty hard by the Olympics where that, you know, people were complaining about the bye weeks, but some of that is just a symptom of look, man, the Olympics were on. We needed to break. And then these guys also just need breaks every once in a while. So, um, but I think in a non-Olympic year, it might've, it might've even been better even without some of the lead in Olympic programming. So, Mm. um, I think they did, they did very well there. And then, um, you know, tickets and attendance wise, I'm not sure, you know, I haven't seen enough of the numbers to know, I know on, on Twitter, Mike Rabel is saying that the, the title game in D.C. is going to be their most attended game ever, their biggest crowd ever. So obviously that's great news. Um, you know, and I, I, I think he had said that they passed their, their ticket sales goals like weeks ahead of time. They were way past the 2019 numbers. So, you know, it, it seems like things are trending in the right direction there. Um, the thing is now people, you know, the, the, the people who are the endemic lacrosse fan base, like the the use and means of the world. We want more of every off season. I want more tour stops. I want more teams. I want all of this stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, we say it kind of, I say it every off season, how they balance, you know, the financial burden that is more tour stops and more teams and everything with where their books are right now. So 
you know, I don't have visibility into that, but yes. um, I think another sign for them to, to show, look, positive growth, healthy thing, healthy things are happening, good things are coming is, you know, next year, maybe we have the, the outlaws lacrosse club or something like that. Yeah, that, that was going to be sort of where we ended this, uh, you know, what's the off season like for the PLL, you know, is there expansion, is there, you know, expanding the player pool, is there, you know, um, are, are they going to city based stuff like that? Or what do you think their next steps are? Because obviously, this is this sort of the future of Paul Rabel's league and, and you know, his legacy is this league and what's he going to do to help keep this momentum going? You know, I, I think there's people are going to clamor for expansion basically every season until they see their favorite player that's in the player pool right. on, a, on a game day roster, you know, until I see Joel Tinney playing every Saturday, I'm going to be saying you don't have enough teams. Um, so, you know, I, I think, and, and there's also, you know, as, as part of this and from a, from a marketing point of view, there are brands from the MLL, like I just mentioned, like the outlaws mm -hmm. that have great followings already that, the, you know, the, the, the 4th of July game that they played every year in the MLL out in Denver would have 30,000 people at it. So, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's sort of existing brands from that MLL merger that they can lift back out again, whether it's the Outlaws or even the Bayhawks or something like that, where they have these, these really strong established fan bases from those groups. Some of those people may have come over when the PLL launched. Some of them may have stuck around to say, no, I'm just an MLL fan. And then, are kind of in limbo since since the merger and aren't sure where they want to go yet. But, um, you know, I, I think expansion would be a wonderful thing to see. I don't know if we're ready for um, for city based yet. I don't know if we have enough teams for that. And, you know, it's going city based in, in lacrosse is, is kind of strange because to the players, it's still going to be basically a touring league. Like mm -hmm. it's not like they're going to get paid enough that if you play for, you know, the Denver Outlaws, but your job's in New York that you can quit your job and go live in yeah. Denver. You know, um, it might be a little different now, actually, thanks to COVID. If some of these guys are able to work remote from wherever all the time, then maybe they can go city-based and guys will be able to live in the city that they play. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've always thought that until we get to a point where guys can be a little more comfortable living where they're playing or somewhere near where they're playing, they don't have to get on a plane and, and essentially tour every weekend anyway, except now they just go to the same place half, for half the games, um, that it would, that would be tough to go there. Um, I also don't know if they have enough cities to be in enough markets that, that they feel comfortable yet either. You know, they, they'd have to do the, just drop a team in, you know, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Denver, Long Island, and, you know, take a couple risks like, like we'd seen, you know, from the MLL a little bit where you put one in Atlanta or, or something like that. But, I don't think they're ready for that, but you know, I, they, they do some of these things ahead of schedule. You know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't think we were anywhere close to a merger, but here we are, you know, like just a year away from, from that happening. So um, I'm sure it's starting to be on their radar. I don't think this, the city-based thing is going to happen yet, but I, I think expansion is, is a reasonable thing to ask. Um, final score of Sunday's championship game will be. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go chaos twelve eleven. Chaos overtime, 12, overtime or regulation? Overtime. Oh, love it. Give love me it. Josh Byrne with the game winner. Ah, see, there's when we were talking about kind of guys that were um, engaging and have personalities and can be the face of the league. Like Josh Byrne's a character, man. Like he he could definitely take his game to another level and be one of those guys. Yeah, he could. He's good. That's a great call. Yeah, he's, he's again, he's like magnanimous, 
big personality, mm. ton of fun. He's got a obviously the skills on the field. So yeah, he's another guy who could do it for sure. Um, dude, this has been awesome as always. Where can people read your stuff and your follow-up articles on PLO? Uh, for right now, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Arestia, and uh, you'll be able to see some of my stuff either on Medium or on Lacrosse Flash. For the Beautiful. Future. Beautiful, my brother. Uh, take care of my niece. Uh, show her the <laughs> lovely sights of DC. And uh, have fun, man. It's going to be awesome. Right. Appreciate your time as always, brother. Thanks so much for having me. The fact that clout chasers didn't ruin Paul Rabel's announcement speaks volumes. I said it before and I'll say it again. That is when you know that you have made the most of your time in our sport. Great stuff there from Dan talking about the ability for the whips to continually keep the cycle of players going. It's very akin to sort of what the rush do, is that Derek Keenan always finds a way to keep filling the tanks, keep guys cycling through. And Coach Stagnita has done that very, very well for the whip snakes. But I'm kind of riding with the tide and thinking that this has got to be the chaos's year. It's got to happen, right? The Whips cannot win three in a row. Blaze has to get this done. It is. Go- I bet you Blaze just plays out of his mind. But I'm stoked to see what Burner and Dane and Fraze, Jackson, Mac O'Keefe, like even Westberg is starting to get a little more reps here and there. Like, I want to see what that offense can do on the biggest stage. Just go out and ball out, play some Canadian box, pick and roll, a couple nations looks, and just take down the whips. we got to prevent that three-peat. I am all in on the chaos. Let's go. And one of the things I like about Andy Towers is just his straight up energy and passion. And just doesn't care, like cares what comes out of his mouth, but is all in embracing everything that comes out of his mouth. And the line he said a couple weeks ago about go to a dark place, I absolutely love that. Because you do. In those high intensity moments, in those games where you just have to find something else, you have to go to a dark place. And it's not an evil thing or a, a malicious thing. You just have to go to a place where you don't know what lies beneath. Because there is that extra reservoir of energy and strength and fortitude to help push you past that goal. And David Goggins, the ex-military Navy SEAL guy who is just an incredible inspiration, has this um, saying, and I'm paraphrasing, that when you know what the end line is, when you get closer to it, you start to get happy and you get comfortable because you know the end is coming. But when you don't live on that edge of hope, and you don't know what the end line is, 
You just have to find that demon deep inside and keep going and dig and go harder and go deeper. And that's what going to that dark place is. And that's why I really appreciate what Andy Towers does. Because he motivates and he gets guys to find that extra gear. And I hope for his sake, I hope for all those fellows on that chaos team and for Blaze that they get it done. It is going to be an absolutely phenomenal final game Sunday. I hope you get a chance to watch it. I'll be tuned in. We'll have a full recap next week on the show. But yeah, full in on the Oss breaking the streak and getting their first chip. Before we focus now to the ALL West, don't forget with NLL training camp starting in November, the season starting in December, you're going to want to get your hands on all of your team's fresh merchandise. So up here in Canada, don't forget fanatics.ca is the place to get your hands on some swag for all the fans in the United States. NLLshop.com is the spot. Hats, hoodies, t-shirts, whatever you need to make sure that you are ready to cheer in your team on NLL opening weekend. It's the place to go. Don't forget NLLshop.com in the United States. And up here in Canada, fanatics.ca for all your NLL swag. The other major story in the lacrosse world over the week was that the Arena Lacrosse League had announced that they were coming west. And we talked about this last week on the show when it first when the news first broke. And I mentioned that we were going to be chatting with Paul St. John and we are when you listen to this interview, the key points I want you to take away are the farm team system stuff. And it is something that I've constantly said and other people have constantly said needs to happen. And I think by adding this league out West, not only does it give the Western players an opportunity because they haven't really ever had this opportunity during the winter seasons, it gives them an opportunity to stay sharp, keep on you know the radar of teams, and continue to work towards their goal of being full-time national lacrosse leaders. And we talked about the impact that this would have last week and how you could kind of shuffle players around, um, not having direct farm teams, but just you could send a player down to an affiliate to the ALL West or to the ALL East, whichever, and then they just just get dispersed through like a waiver wire or however it may work. That's logistics that can, for another time. But having an area, a player pool, on both sides of the continent is going to benefit teams greatly. And ALL West is going to be starting up in the next couple of months. And Paul St. John and his group really feel like they have picked the right time to do it, the right place to do it at, and hope that they will continue to see the success that they did out east, out here in BC. The ALO West is a thing, and Paul St. John is bringing it. He's right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Paul, how are you? Good, Teddy. Thank you for having us on. 
No worries. Uh, it is a great pleasure. How you been over the last little while? It's been been some time since we've chatted. Yeah, well, we're all COVID out, right? We're still seeing it, and uh, we're trying to get through it. And it's, uh, you know, it's exciting to see some of the lacrosse come back this summer, right? I know mm -hmm. you're doing some stuff in the mm -hmm. West, and you know, I, I was part of the MSL Classic uh, for a little bit and stuff. It was exciting. So since the last time we chatted, I mean, we're all probably this COVID COVID hungover, maybe. I don't even know. Is there such a thing? <laughs> right? So it's good to really start talking lacrosse again. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned it, having lacrosse back after so long, whether it was the MSL Classic, the OJ Tournament, the, the, the Classic out here that we did in the West Coast, it was just good to see players playing the game and giving these kids uh, an outlet for all the frustration and tension that's been going on through COVID. But the Arena Lacrosse League is giving kids an avenue to help get them to that next level when there wasn't that availability. And since you guys have been a thing for the past five, six years, you guys have done a great job in pushing kids to the professional league. How nice has it been to watch the progress of the ALL over the last handful of years? You know, it, it's exciting because, uh, as you just said, you know, we, we've been really the official minor league to the, to the NLL. Uh, you know, we're, we are the only league that operates at this time of their season. Uh, we know the summer game is, is, is the, you know, the, the product and, and develop the kids from when they're real small. But for us, just seeing the guys go, I, I said this the other day in, in, in another conversation I had, it's like having 175 sons. In the, mm. in the east we're still waiting for the daughter to play we we almost had, had a goalie last year playing in our league uh, and, I, and i think the, the ladies are coming you know we're seeing it in other sports as well but it's like having 175 sons and every time someone goes to the nll it, you can be more happier because that's what our league's about it's about developing them it's about really promoting them keeping them in shape game shape all the stuff that goes with it and then when the nll is looking for a player it doesn't make sense to look elsewhere when you have guys playing all year long so um, it is neat that way. And for us with the West, I've said this from day one, it's always been in my vision, even when I did the Canadian Lacrosse League um, before the Arena Lacrosse League, you know, we want it to be West, but how can we make it happen? And, you know, when, when we talked to Langley Event Center, that was one of the things I said in my conversation, it'd be great to have the Western players on equal playing field with the Eastern guys, mm -hmm. because they're sitting at home in the, in the West. You're seeing all these East guys get called up. And they're saying, well, I'm probably as good as that player, you know, but I'm not going to get a chance. Now they're going to get the chance to prove it. And that, that probably excites me a little bit more than even when we started the East five years ago. Yeah. And I, I, I have had the same thought process as, you know, there's the Toronto Rock Elite League and there's the, the ALL East. And you guys continue to put out these great, you know, opportunities for these young men. And you're right. We just haven't had it um, out West. Let's go back to the precipice uh, of the ALL. And you mentioned you kind of started with the CLL. And, um, but when did the ALL really become a thing? When I, when I left CLAX, um, it was always in the back of my mind to do something else. And, and truthfully, we were going to do the Arena Lacrosse League in the U.S. Because we know there's, there's a real big push for the American player and stuff. And being you know a Canadian guy and knowing the box game as, as well as most people out there, you know, I put together a crew to do the Arena Lacrosse League in the, in the United States. Problem we had was I, I'm a big guy type of guy where, you know, I wanted to go big right off the hop. And, you know, I had guys in the U.S. that are Canadians like Bob Hamley and John Meridian said, Paul, you're, you're crazy. You're coming in too hot. And, and they were right. Uh, I was a little stubborn. So we couldn't pull off what we wanted to do in the U.S. And then 
we kind of came back to Canada, you know, with my tail between my legs and, uh, and so to speak. And we were sitting there and then CELAC folded. Um, I had, I had left that league two years prior and CELAC folded near five. And, and I said to my group, we got to jump on this. This is a great opportunity. Um, so if anyone that's been following along knows we have blue turf, mm-hmm. uh, I did have a good relationship with CELACs at the end, which was nice. And I went back to them and said, Hey, how can I get this blue turf from you? So I did buy it from them. Um, you know, and it was awesome. So away the arena league, the way we went, you know, we, we now have an opportunity to, to come to life in Canada, which is our backyard. And, and you know, Teddy, as, as well as anybody, you know, you, you want to reach out and branch out and go to different places. But when you know your own home better than anywhere else, it's probably the best place to start and then branch out. The success you guys have had in the five years of just the, you know, the talent level and the championship games you guys have had have been fantastic. What's the the future for ALL East right now? What's the next step for you guys? Is it another team? Is it finding, you know, more arena space? What's next for, for the Eastern group? Yeah, I think, you know, what that's the biggest challenge is finding venues. Uh, you know, we, we do have an opportunity in Brampton. Uh, Memorial is going to keep the carpet down for this winter. We're not sure the longevity of it, if they're going to go multiple years or if it's going to be a full-time um, thing that happens. So we are looking at Brampton. Uh, I'll say it to you, and I haven't really announced or talked to very many people about it, but we've talked about adding an eighth team just to balance out our out our east side. Uh, it makes it a little easier to, to maybe do some travel restricted type, uh, you know, east like an east and a west division in the east. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of sounds funny now to say that, but you know, so it's four teams in each side or something, and in that, so there is a future to grow. Um, we probably will look at eventually going down into the Ottawa Aquasasney area and try a four team loop down there. So they have obviously teams of play in their area, and then and then we'll do some interlocking. Um, so there is there is plans to grow the East Division. I'm not sure if it'll be this year because of COVID. You know, you you're just not a hundred percent sure, and you've already seen it in the NLL with with a couple of guys retiring and stuff like that that hadn't played a year and a half to say, I'm done, you know, so yeah. we're not sure. Mm-hmm. I think the feedback we're getting is most of our players return that were playing before pre COVID. And we're obviously going to have a big influx of draft picks and, and young players coming into our league this year, but we're just not sure of the numbers as of today. Um, obviously the partnership with the Langley event center is huge for you guys in bringing the ALL West um, mostly because they have turf all year round. Um, that's obviously a key selling point because it helps you, uh, work in the NLL rules and it's got the lines painted on it. Um, how did the conversations go with the LEC? How did that start? Uh, I, like I reached out probably about a month and a half ago, um, maybe a bit longer than that. And, and, and just kind of got the ball rolling. Uh, you know, like truthfully, I have one guy in the East here that's been in my ear for years to get the West going because he keeps flip-flopping back and forth. And that's Ryan McMichael. <laughs> I was going to say, that's got to be, Mc, be McMikes. <laughs> you know, and, and Mick's, Mick's hilarious. You know, yeah. I, and actually, I, I just texted him before I got on here and said, hey, did you see the picture halfway down our homepage? And it's a picture of Ryan scoring in a championship game against uh, Craig Wendy, who's now at Rochester. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and their big comeback when Oshawa won the inaugural All-Cup. So I was paying homage to him because, you know what, he, he has been in my ear. But... Um, you know, I, I finally, I reached uh, Jason. Uh, originally, I had talked to Christina there at the LEC, and, and I reached Jason, and we, we really shared uh, a lot of the same passion for the game, you know, and how we can grow, grow it and stuff. And, 
and everybody in the West knows, you know, the logistically it's tough because there's not venues with turf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not dry pads that you can, you know, I own turf, so I was able to put turf down. There's not a lot of turf out in the, out in the West. Um, so, you know, Langley Event Center, you know, and Jason said to me, look, you know, we can do everything in-house. And that's kind of what really intrigued me as much as the turf, obviously, because we needed a turf turf floor because you you can't play NLL rules on, on cement. Um, yeah. you, can, you can play the majority of them, but, you know, we have crease dives. We have goals from behind the net. You, I don't think in, you played. You don't want to be crease diving on cement. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so Jason, what really intrigued me was the, the Rexters, the stuff they have, the ticketing, the, you know, the, the filming of games and the webcasting, and, and, and they have their own store. and Everything's there to really get the Arena Lacrosse League West, the all-West division, off and running right away, mm-hmm. where we don't have to go multiple venues and plan, what are we going to do here? Where are we going to get volunteers to run this arena, that arena, right? So, you know, that's the real neat thing about LEC. And, and, and you know, it's it's exciting when you have a partner that shares that vision. Um, we kind of talked about, you know, Jake Elliott has his XLL, you have the ALL and you're coming out West. Have you talked to him at all about how, you know, league can coexist? Because, you know, everyone's trying to find the next thing and be the guy that's going to help this game get to the next level. Yeah, Jake and I've had a couple talks. Uh, I haven't talked to uh, Randy, who's the, I believe, the owner of XLL and Extreme Threads. I haven't had that chance. I know we're planning on heading west in a couple weeks uh, to visit the LEC, and I'm hoping to meet with a lot of a lot of great lacrosse people out there. And Teddy, including yourself, if you're available, we'll we'll make sure we do lunch or something. But you know, like I talked, I talked to Jake because um, obviously we're gonna, you know, we we probably will love to have him do some play by play by play for us, mm-hmm. and I, I, even yourself. But I know with the Sills and Saskatchewan and teams, and you, you guys are busy, but you never know on some of the off nights, right? Where where you're you're looking for something to do, or, or at least catch some some more lacrosse, which uh, there'll be plenty of plenty of yeah. go around. But I talked to Jake. We talked about the XLL. Uh, I think you know it's great what they're doing. Uh, I'm happy that. Other people in the West are, are trying to jumpstart the, the, the winter game. Uh, I believe they're going to play in Coquitlam. I believe they're going to go Wednesday nights. And, and I, you know, that's just what I've heard from Jake. And, and I, like I said, hopefully we can find a way to, to really work together. Uh, I'm not sure how I don't, logistically yet. Uh, most of our games will be weekends. We will have uh, some weeknight games because uh, of events at Langley, um, like the Giants and stuff taking, taken, even though they plan the big rink. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some logistics there, but I, I think for us with the XLL, I, I heard the other day, they're going to start a junior loop as well. It's exciting. You know, again, like I said, in our, our press release, you know, the Western kids for the most part, and I call everyone kids, even though they're in their twenties and thirties, even some of them, you know, they're putting their sticks down, right. Yeah. They may pick them up here and there, but they're putting yeah. their sticks down in the wintertime. Now they can pick them up and, you know, obviously, I'm hoping the majority of them come and sign up for our league and, and, and at least get to tryouts. And, you know, if they're if they're good enough, they'll play in the All-West this year. Maybe, maybe you know, based on average in the East, we normally get 20 or 30 call-ups a year in the, in the NLL. And maybe in the West Division, all of a sudden, we're seeing 15 or 20 of our guys go up. And they might be one gamers. They might be guys that just go to a practice roster and come back. Or they may be guys that like Mike Burke or Nick Jaskowski and they stick forever and you never get them back. You know, that's, that's the goal, right? You know, of, of everything that you're doing and, and with the national crossing is doing is finding that farm system route. And that is something we've all been pining for. And, and, 
and talking about because as an NLL team, you can only have 25 guys. And so there's still a big number of players, like you said, that don't have anywhere to go. How closely are you working with the National Cross League and trying to, you know, create a true farm system where each pro team has as an ALL team where they can send players? Well, I think we're getting closer, obviously, every year. Uh, and with this announcement, I think this is going to bring us closer than ever. You know, we have 11 teams. We can add an, an eighth team in the East to get to 12 and, and, you know, have the same amount of teams that, that are in the East division of the NLL. And we could probably, based on early registration numbers, probably get the six teams in the U.S., but we kind of weren't sure where we are going to go. So we thought, let's just go four teams this year, and then we can expand next year. But the key for us, and, and, and you know, I, I do most of my talking with Brian Lemon, who's the director of lacrosse operations, and mm -hmm. Nick and I get into the odd conversation, you know, by text and the odd phone call. But, you know, the key, and they know this, you know, and I, and I said to him, you know, it would be awesome to have that direct affiliation, you know, the um, Colorado Mammoth draft seven players, and only two of them really have a legit chance of, of making their team, and the other five go their farm team, and they yeah. keep them, right? Yeah. You know this, like, how many times you see players, and I'm, I'm a big component of this, as much as you keep them in your stable, in your farm, on your farm team, you also keep them motivated, right? Yes. You know, a kid gets drafted, he gets drafted in the third round, he puts on the hat, he puts on the mammoth hat, he puts on the jersey, gets his pitcher, you know, he walks away, goes to camp, doesn't make the team. So he gets, in, in today's game, he just gets put out into the stable. There you go, you know, find your way. So you know, when he's done, he's like, well, I really don't like the mammoth anymore. Throws a hat aside and never wears it again. Right. But if he goes to the farm team. He's going to pump the tires of the Colorado mammoth. I belong to the mammoth, you know, like maybe they'll call me up. Maybe they never call him up. Maybe he becomes the Bruce Boudreaux of, of the NLL. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Bruce got, did get a bit of a sniff of the Maple Leafs back in the seventies or eighties, but, but you know what I mean? Maybe he's a lifelong arena lacrosse league player, but he still has that hope and he's still cheering for that team. Yeah. And it's just, it's a marketing tool that, that to me, and they know this. I'm not trying to trying to really build something up here so the NLL sees something, but they already know that. Yeah. Like that marketing tool is the best marketing tool you can have is when players are talking about the upline, right? Yeah. And we saw that sort of jump in. We saw yeah. that with Dylan Ward on Twitter last week, where he actually made a comment about the downline and talked about American players and said it would be great if the NLL flew those American players up to Toronto to play yeah. in the in the yeah. ALL instead of flying them out to games and paying for it and then getting them into a practice, but they never get into games in the, in the NLL. So, you know, I, I think Teddy, we're getting closer than ever. I, I might be a little long winded on it, but it's an exciting time in my mind for the growth of the game of lacrosse, especially truthfully at the pro level. Oh, hundred percent. And that's, like I said, that's, that's the eventual goal is to have that. Um, obviously uh, getting players is important for you guys and registration is open for those guys if they want to get involved right away, but you're also going to need coaches and general managers and all that stuff. So how's that process going? Because that, that also is a very important pipeline for the growth of our game is to have those young coaches developing and learning the rules and these players so that as the NLL expands, we have coaches ready and we have general managers ready. You know, and that's a great point. So, you know, we, we hope in the next week, uh, you know, we'll, we'll announce our director of lacrosse operations and our commissioner for the West. Um, you know, so there's already, you know, through our website, coaches can reach out to me if they're interested. Um, you know, the key for us is, is it's a development league also for the coaches, right? Mm -hmm. 
And we always pump the tires of the players because that's the number one goal, obviously. But you look at our Eastern coaching staffs and we've got ex-players and, you know, ex-NLL guys like Ron Henry was, you know, Mouser, as, as we call him, was in Buffalo. You know, Gavin Prout was a Hall of Famer in Colorado. And Steve Toll was with us and now gone to Panther City. Uh, we had Culp for, you know, Chad Culp for a little bit. He's, you know, he's in Halifax. Roger Chrysler, you know, he's in Halifax. So, you know, we do want to associate ourselves with guys that are coaching, um, that have some experience, obviously. Don't, they don't necessarily have to be, a, you know, an NLL, XNL player. Um, but we do know that, you know, the NLL likes to have, you know, their XNL players move into the coaching ranks. So, you know, I know we are speaking behind the scenes with some coaches in the West, and I hope that the names that have been kicking around come to, to light and they join us. Um, because, yeah, it is key that we have some real key experienced coaches uh, for these young guys that, that uh, can learn from them and, and also learn what, what life as a pro is as well. Because it is different, right? Absolutely. When you're flying in and out of games and stuff. Um, do you plan to have a East-West championship at any point? I'm smiling. So, yes. <laughs> the hard part is when you when you when we announced the All West, that was our biggest challenge, right? Because it is a pay-to-play league. Um, you know, we do look for sponsors. Obviously, sponsors are key, and and at the moment they're slow to come in. So as we grow, we we think the sponsorship money will grow. So I don't think we'll do year one, although you never know. Um, but I think by year two we will have an East-West championship. And then when we expand south of the border in a couple of years and stuff, we'll, we'll have a, uh, a tournament championship as well. So the key for us is, you know, obviously is, is raising the funds. We don't want the players or the coaches to have to pay out of pocket to do that travel. So, and as you know, being involved with man cups and stuff, it, it does get costly to, mm -hmm. to, to travel across Canada. And, um, but uh, yeah, we definitely have it in our plans to have a, a national championship. I think what we'll probably do is try to re-figure out how we're going to do the, the trophy. Uh, currently, it's the All-Cup, um, yeah. but I think we'll probably shelf that um, because obviously the All-Cup should be played for uh, by all the leagues. Right now, we have two divisions. Um, so we'll probably look for individual uh, sponsors or something, maybe to put yeah. up a trophy. Okay. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, seven out east. You're going to put four out west. You know where those four western teams are going to be sort of quote-unquote based? Well, they're all going to be based at Langley, right? Right, but team name, team name. So you know what? That that's the hard part, um, truthfully, because we we personally, as you see in the East, you know, we have the Whippy Steel Hawks in the Oshawa. I was playing out of Children's right. Arena, which is in Oshawa, right? We have three teams playing out of the ILA Six Nations, really being the home team, and then we have a St. Catharines team there and a Paris team. I kind of like the city names, but I think in the early talks that we're talking in the West is maybe stay away from having. A Coquitlam team, a Maple yeah. Ridge team, a Langley yeah. team, and an Abbotsford team or a New West team. But um, I know we are working on the team names. We've we've actually reached out to um, some Indigenous uh, people to get some of their feedback. We do want to pay homage there. Uh, we we think that you know the movement on, on every child matters is important to us and stuff like that. So um, we may we may end up the PLL way with just nicknames. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's still in the works. We're hopefully by by the end of this month, we'll have the four teams named and and get the logos and the jerseys up and running as well. How quickly do you want it? Do you guys expect this to get started with camps and and games and all that stuff coming up pretty quick? Yeah, so we'll draft November twentieth. Uh, the NLL will be running down their camps. They'll be in their second last weekend of camp, uh, probably doing exhibition games and stuff. So we'll start to see some players 
be released at that time. So the way our draft works is, you know, you have to register for the draft. And anyone that's been drafted into the NLL the last couple of years, because we haven't played, as you know, they'll, they'll be automatically entered on a draft list, right? Um, obviously, we're anticipating there'll be cuts. Everyone knows that. Not everyone makes it. So we'll do the draft November 20th. Camps will open the week after. Uh, and then they'll run for a couple of weeks of camp. Um, probably the second week of, of camp, which will be the first week of December, there'll be some exhibition games. So guys can get to play, you know, NLL rules or ALL rules, I guess we should call them. Uh, and then we'll open up December 10th weekend. Uh, I believe at the moment um, that we'll probably do one game Saturday and one game Sunday to open just to have them split. Uh, we, we thought it would be pretty neat that the West starts a, a week before the East for schedule. So we can give them a little bit of the, the limelight or, or, you know, the, the so we can promote them, I guess, mm -hmm. would be a better way of putting it. Um, ArenaLacrosseLeague.ca is the website. Players can go register. The, uh, coaches, GMs can get in touch with you there. Uh, this is exciting news for you guys. This is exciting news for players, uh, everybody, fans of the game of lacrosse. Uh, this is a big step. Congratulations, my friend, and appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Teddy. Really appreciate you having us on. Thank you. There he is. That's Paul St. John from the Arena Lacrosse League. Um, I'm interested to see what coaches come on board for this because there are some talented coaches on the mainland that I know are slowly wanting to work up the ranks. And a lot of people have talked about Pete Tellis's name of being sort of the next guy to get a good look to become a future coach. I think this is a great spot for him um, to kind of continue working his chops as it were. Uh, and more so in an NLL setting. Um, he's done great work with uh, the Adnax organization. He has been a vastly rising up-and-comer. And that's a great spot for him. I'm sure there's other coaches on the mainland that would like to get a look or just a chance to further their career uh, with this league. Even, you know, finding GMs is going to be interesting to see what GMs they bring in. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. I have a lot of, of faith in it. I think it is much needed. I think it's going to serve its purpose. Um, you know, fan-wise, it is what it is. If they're going to be playing in the field house at the LEC, they can get a couple hundred, hopefully maybe fans in there. Um, the only downside of playing in the field house at the LEC is that the camera angle is in the far corner um, and it's not exactly the greatest visual. If they can figure that out somehow, um, awesome. That is a big bonus. But that's not the worst thing in the world. But giving them an opportunity to play and the fact they're going to play on weekends will give the island guys a chance to go over and play a little bit more. I think it would it is going to do and serve its purpose. And for teams like Vancouver and Calgary and Colorado and San Diego, having guys playing, you know, close to your base is vital. So um, thanks to Paul for stopping by and just kind of letting us know what their plans and thoughts and um, just the idea that this has finally happened 
um, is huge. And their partnership with the National Lacrosse League is going to give it um, more thought of finally creating a farm system, a true farm system for the National Lacrosse League. It won't be easy. There will be some challenges to it. But at least now that you have East and West, it kind of balances things out. You create a larger player pool. And it is going to make a, a significant impact on how teams work their transactions and where they can put guys and where they find guys from if they need to. Um, NLL.com slash news slash transactions. Of course, you can check this all out on yourself. We'll break some of the bigger signings. Um, after we got off the air last week, uh, the Zach Greer deal went through with the San Diego Seals, a one-year deal. And this was, it was a 50-50 chance for Greerzo. He was either coming back to San Diego or was going to be in PCLC, in my opinion. I'm not speaking for Zach on that. It was either finish what you started with the Seals in the last couple of years, make one last run, or you start with the Panther City team that's in your backyard, essentially. But happy to have him back with the Seals. Uh, massive Zach Greer fan. So uh, he is back in San Diego. Britt Manny gets a one-year deal with the Firewolves. Um, a lot of teams are now just kind of shuffling their draft picks around from the last year or from, you know, the draft a couple weeks ago. They're either signing them to, you know, one or two-year deals or they're moving them to the draft list mostly because they're going back to school. Um, the Wings and Panther City did flip uh, some picks and Daryl Wad. Uh, Wings go Wad and a sixth rounder to Panther City for a fifth rounder uh, in 2023. So Wad, if you don't know, is a former CFL player. Um, big body, has lacrosse background. Um, played for the Wings a couple games uh, a few years ago, um, but now will be a member of the Panther City Lacrosse Club. Uh, the other big signings, uh, Steph Charbonneau gets a one-year deal in Philadelphia. Massive Sharps fan. Um, real up-and-coming two-way guy, gritty, um, and just loves playing in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia loves to have him. And, yeah, mo again, most of the other signings. Uh, Ryan Martell gets a one-year deal with the Roughnecks, and the Rush signed goalie Lucas Nagy, so now they've got... Three goalies in their camp, essentially. But uh, still looking like Shoot will be their number one guy. But again, NLL.com slash news slash transactions um, to check out all the movements that your team is doing or your favorite player may be doing. That'll about do it for another episode. Don't forget, NLLshop.com down the States and fanatics.ca up in Canada for all of your NLL swag. All 14 teams are in there, including the New Look Roughnecks, the Albany Firewolves, Panther City Lacrosse Club. Get your swag, get the look, and be ready for opening weekend. Thanks to Dan Arestia for stopping by. Talk about Paul Rabel in the PLL Championship Final this Sunday. And Paul St. John from the Arena Lacrosse League who is bringing the ALL West to the people out here in British Columbia. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, on Instagram, OTCB Podcast, or email me, 
teddy.jenner at gmail.com. What is your favorite Paul Rabel memory? Who is the next face of lacrosse? A lot of questions now that PR99 is finished, but the businessman continues. And where the PLL goes, only Paul Rabel knows. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.